Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Alandari, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician... That's me, and a health education expert... That's me. Talk about what you need to know to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. Diet-related illness and COVID-19. For a long time, we've been aware of how underlying health conditions can impact COVID-19 infections. Studies have come out showing that the connection between obesity and other diet-related illnesses and COVID-19 cases. Take, for instance, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of Britain, who was in the ICU with a severe case of COVID-19. Afterwards, he commented on how his weight impacted his illness. Johnson took this as a wake-up call to become healthier and to tackle the issue of obesity. He led a campaign which included mandating nutrition labels on foods in restaurants, having healthier foods near checkout aisles, and blocking junk food advertisements on TV before 9 p.m. Johnson began leading a healthier lifestyle, adopting new healthier habits, and encouraging British citizens to do the same. Other countries are following suit and implementing tighter restrictions around junk food and are encouraging healthy behaviors. Countries are looking to ban or reduce sales of sugary drinks and other junk foods in children. Dream with me, Hope, that we would ever come to a place like this. Like, I'm looking at this and I'm just like so envious, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because in the U.S. there are no big legislative uh, moves. Would, Can you imagine would, banning advertisements of junk food before nine? Like, dream with me. <laughs> that um, would, I can't dream because that would never happen yeah. here. <laughs> In the U.S., there have been no big legislative moves addressing the link between diet, obesity, and severe COVID-19. Research shows that obesity is driven by systemic issues and our current food systems, not due to quote-unquote willpower. Prevention is very important as research shows that mm -hmm. most people don't have access to long-term and rigorous treatments to reverse obesity long-term. Diet-related illnesses are an epidemic in America impacting many, many people. Research has estimated that diet-related illnesses were comorbidities in two-thirds of hospitalizations for COVID-19. Those who have a BMI of 45 or more are one-third more likely to be hospitalized for COVID and 60% more likely to die from COVID. My goodness. It's clear how important this issue is and should receive more focus and legislative action. For now, it is up to us to make the best choices for ourselves to protect our health and well-being. And why do you think that is, Dr. Derry? Like, why do you think there isn't the focus in legislative action? I don't understand I, it. I think that there's this perspective of, and I think it's a misguided perspective of what personal freedom means. Mm. Um, and I think that because of this highly individualistic approach that our American society takes, mm -hmm. I think that runs counter to that, despite it being for your well-being. For example, do you have the freedom to get in your car and drive without a seatbelt? Well, yes, you do. Mm -hmm. But 
you could get a ticket as a result of it, right? So we've right. realized that mandating seatbelts are helpful. Do you have the freedom to go to a bar to get drunk? Yes. Do you have a freedom to get in a car and drive after that? No, we've right. realized. So there are things that we have decided as a society that we can limit due to personal safety or public health safety. But this is an example where that's not the case. I mean, take the vaccinations that we're seeing all over the country. We're seeing, you know, mandates being reversed. We're seeing in so-called red states where political leaders are not taking vaccinations seriously, mm-hmm. even though we know it is for the health of the community, they're putting the priorities of our so-called individualistic or autonomous society above the public's health. It's unbelievable, honestly. Yeah. COVID mutations and what they mean for the future. Again, we face another COVID-19 variant that's leaving most of the world puzzled right now. Scientists were well aware that mutations and various strains were going to occur as the pandemic went on, but what does it mean for the future of the virus? Dr. Trevor Bedford, an expert on viral evolution and epidemiology, spoke at the Stat News Summit about changes in the COVID-19 virus and how viruses behave in general. Dr. Bedford explained how fast the COVID-19 virus was mutating compared to other viruses like the flu. He further elaborated what this means for the future of COVID-19. Over time, the virus will mutate and drift and eventually will begin to evade the immunity provided by previous infection or vaccinations. So how often will we need a booster, an updated vaccine? Dr. Bedford is guessing a new booster will become available every winter season. Eventually, we will reach endemicity with the COVID-19 virus. We'd like to have reached it by now or soon, but new variants continue to delay that. Endemicity means that we will live with the virus and will not cause major disruptions to society, much like the flu. And we have seen so far the virus will continue to mutate and new strains will prevail and breakthrough infections will occur regardless of vaccinations. Going forward, it seems as though we'll have to capitalize on available preventative measures like vaccinations to prevent seasonal outbreaks. With the introduction of antivirals aimed to treat COVID-19, it'll become easier to reduce strain on hospitals and prevent morbidity and mortality. We're getting close to emdicity, even with the virus mutating. We will see how the virus continues to change. Hopefully further mutations will lead to less viral strains that will eventually become commonplace in the world without causing massive disruption. Nursing home booster rate vaccinations remain low. According to the New York Times, there have been new outbreaks in nursing homes in the Midwest and Northeast, even though the vaccination rate in the facilities is about 86%. With around 4,000 weekly cases in nursing facilities, booster shots, which boost the vaccine's protection from infection back up significantly, have become more important. This is especially pressing because many of the cluster of cases in nursing homes are happening in places where they haven't yet given out extra doses. In some cases, low vaccination rates among staff members may be contributing to the outbreaks as well. Unlike the thorough federal and state campaigns to get Americans vaccinated in the winter of 2020, advocacy for booster vaccines have been much slower and less detailed. In late November, less than half of elderly Americans have received a booster shot, and no U.S. organizations are closely tracking the number of booster shots administered in the nursing homes. 
The Times said that the public health programs may have decided to not make an explicit case for booster shots to that demographic because they assumed that the case would make itself. Nursing homes saw huge death tolls at the beginning of the pandemic, and the rate went down considerably following vaccination. When cases started to rise again, experts may have assumed that senior citizens would naturally want to get that additional shot. In fact, older Americans probably should have gotten much earlier access to booster shots because they were the first group to get the vaccine. So many in the demographic likely saw their immunity wane as early as July, but booster doses weren't approved until September and October when nursing home residents would have already lost some of their protection from the infection. So last winter, CVS and Walgreens signed federal contracts to give the first doses of the vaccines to nursing home residents, but that contract ended before booster shots became available. So some facilities have struggled to administer doses because of staffing shortages and have relied on the National Guard and pharmacies that usually administer their flu shots. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast, follow us on social media, and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Hickerson, at hopehickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry. That's D-R-D-E-R-Y. To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefiltershow.com. We are grateful to our sponsors, including Access Health Louisiana and the End the Epidemic Initiative, who are working to bring equitable health outcomes to everyone they serve. Hope, any last words? Stay well out there, folks, and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your healthcare providers regularly. And protect yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right. <laughs>